I could not I could not be more excited about what God is going to do in Los Angeles and thrilled that South Carolina is sending us your very best and will to lead that effort. I just want to say thank you for being here, and uh, I need to say thank you for a lot of things to you. Uh, I'm part of being uh, president of the North American Mission Board. I go all over North America. I mean, from Maine to New Mexico to Florida to Washington, and and uh, God brought you one of the finest pastors in all of North America. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. I don't say that lightly. And uh, so thankful, Gary, always. We're so grateful for the partnership we have with uh, South Carolina. And Gary Hollingsworth is one of the kindest uh, leaders in all of North America. He's been a very good friend of mine for so many years. And today we have the opportunity to celebrate so many things. And I just want to say thank you for how you give to the cooperative program and how you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, we just concluded that. We had $66.5 million given to the Annie Armstrong. That's $5 million more than ever given before in Annie Armstrong. And so we're so grateful for that. And I just want, I just want you to say, when you hear those cooperative program or you hear Annie or Lottie Moon, those different offerings, you may not even know those ladies personally, but uh, I want you to know when you see Will and when you see our planners and pastors there in Los Angeles, you see missionaries in all these different countries represented by the flags, that's the cooperative program. That's Annie and that's Lottie. And so often we, we get to where we think it's like it is where we are. You know, I've got six kids. My youngest three we adopted from uh, China, Philippines, and Ethiopia. Okay? So I have six kids from four different countries. My joke is when we watch the Olympics, we win. <laughs> my kids know what it's like not to have certain things. I tell a story often about my son in Philippines where he, he wasn't used to hot water and, and still to this day he loves a, a shower because he, he went for years and never had hot water. We get used to certain things. And that's the case here. I mean, you live in South Carolina for crying out loud, one of the most beautiful places in all of North America. And, and you're in an incredible church, an environmentally controlled room. And you start, you can look around and think, you know, this is kind of Christianity. This is kind of how it is everywhere. It's not, okay? What you just experienced in this worship service, it's not everywhere. And what you, uh, sometimes we forget is 85%, 85% of the Southern Baptist Convention is in the South. 85% of our SBC family is in the SEC and the ACC. <laughs> it's the other conferences that are going to hell, and we have got to reach them, all right? But I just want to say thank you because of what you have given in the past. And, and, and Will, you're so kind to talk about Sin Network. And the reason we named it Sin Network is so they have one thing to identify that we're all in this together to plant churches all over North America. You talked about the different populations. You have one Southern Baptist church in South Carolina for about every 2,500 uh, people in South Carolina. Missiologists say you need one for every 2,000. But you go to places like New York, and it's, it's one for every 59,000. You go to Canada, it's one for every 90,000. And those same ratios are true for California. It's just the population is so incredible. But it's working. Thank you for how you invested in Boston. And we want other cities to be like Boston now because what it once was, now it's incredibly different. And cities like D.C. I brought some maps I'd love to show you. In 2010... Here's how many plants we had in Washington, D.C., all right? You see that on the left. Those are the dots. Those are the plants in 2010. We're thankful for each one of those. But because of your faithfulness in the cooperative program and thank your, th your faithfulness 
through Annie Armstrong, this is what it looks like in 2020. And that's because of you. You realize that you're in Greenville, but you're in Greenville. You have the opportunity to go across the street, but also across the nation as you invest in church plants. Talking about Los Angeles, here's what Los Angeles looked like back in 2010. And then you just heard Will talk about some of the fantastic church plants we have there now. This is what it looks like now in 2020. All right? Now, yeah, you say, whoa. But, you know, it's whoa because of how bad it really is. All right? That's an incredible improvement. Um, but, but I'm a Kentucky fan, and we're all excited about our football team this year. It's only because we're so bad in the past, all right? We're just less bad. Now, we're thankful for what, it's, what it has grown to, but compared to the population, that's horrible. You have 2,100 churches in South Carolina for a population that is about a third of the size of what Will is going to be responsible for, and that's the desperate need. So I just want to say thank you for what you've given in the past because it's making a difference. It is making a difference. But there is much more to be done, and we want to maximize the momentum. God has blessed this. It is working, but we have to maximize the momentum. There's not a better passage, I don't believe, than in Acts 13 when it talks about a church sending out because you model that, and I'm not just blowing smoke here. You do. You know what it's like. You have such a rich heritage of giving and and going and missions you do but i beg you today first i beg you to appreciate your heritage but don't get stuck there because god has so much more for you to do to expect great things in the future and sometimes people can get so focused on looking at their trophy cases of the past and they 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 don't uh, uh, look at what God is going to do. And what excites me here is not only what has happened, but what God is going to do. In Acts chapter 13, I love this passage because it talks about living on mission. Now today we're talking about missions nationally and tonight internationally, but I, I want to make sure you understand when I say this, I mean absolutely every person in here is to live on mission. We often talk about mission trips. We're going to take certain mission trips to certain cities or mission trips to certain countries. But if you read the New Testament, every day is a mission trip. God placed you here for a purpose. And it's to do more than draw a breath and draw a salary. It's to be focused on mission. And it may be going next door to your neighbor, as I do to mine, named George, who is my one. I'm praying that God would do a work in his heart. Across the street or across the country, every one of us are to be on mission. Not everybody's going to leave and be a church planner. You may be an engineer, a teacher, work in a factory, but God expects you to use that platform for his glory. Look in Acts 13, verse 1, as the church of Antioch uh, begins to send out. And man, you set it up perfectly talking about Barnabas because he's, he's uh, featured right here at Acts 13. Let's begin in verse 1. It says this. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. He mentions Barnabas and a whole slew of other guys. And they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who eventually we know as Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. And help me with those last three words. You ready? Let's do it together. And sent them off. that's right. And they sent 
them up one more time just to make sure we embed it in our minds. And they sent them off, all right? Living on mission is about sending. It's about being sent. And here, the church of Antioch sent them off. And as they laid their hands on them, you know what they were saying? As you go, we go. As you go, we're going to support you. We've got your back. As you go, we go. And that's why I showed you those maps. I want you to identify, as you did with Boston and Salt Lake City, I want you to identify that, look, as Will goes, you go. Being sent, I truly believe, ultimately, ultimately, success is determined of a church, not by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. God's called you to multiply And the church of Antioch did that. The church of Jerusalem looked inward at how they could take care of themselves. And you saw what happened. You see what happens if you read scripture. The church of Antioch sent their very best. Barnabas and Saul becomes Paul. All right. Being sent means, I mean, on mission means being sent. It also means being obedient. It's hard to leave South Carolina and go to Los Angeles, it's hard to uproot your kids and move to somewhere in a kind of a foreign land, if you will. But look what this next verse says in in Acts 13. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. Now, remember that, John, that'll be an important part, John Mark. Um, But it says, so they went out. By the Holy Spirit. When you go out by the Holy Spirit, you're being, you have to be obedient. What that simply means, when you're sent by the Holy Spirit, you have to be obedient, completely dependent, and completely flexible. When, when God is, as God sends Will to, to Los Angeles, he has to be completely obedient and completely dependent. He's from South Carolina, for crying out loud, going to Los Angeles. Completely dependent upon God doing a miraculous thing, the Holy Spirit. Completely dependent, but also we've learned you have to be completely flexible. And the problem so often in the church, and when we say about you being on mission, when when we decide to be on mission, we often determine what that is. We go to God in prayer and ask that he bless it. And then we go about trying to achieve everything we feel like needs to be done instead of flipping it and just saying, my yes is on the table. God, you tell me where you want me to go. And when I get there, man, I'll do my best, but ultimately it's your plan that I want to, I want to run, not my plan, force. Sometimes we try to force certain things. I always remember when I was in seminary, I had a guy, uh, I was just called, his first name was John, and he said, man, I want you to pray for me. I'm really trying to discern where God wants me to go. And I said, well, in seminary, they have the way where you turn in your name to where you'd like to go or where you're open to going. Typically, I'm open to going to North America, well, we're going to the Northeast, Southeast. And I said, well, when you turned your sheet in about a placement, what did you do? And he turned in two zip codes <laughs> right around Memphis. Very near his mother-in-law. I mean, that's openness to whatever you want me to do in the two zip codes. 
And listen, we're talking about being mission, missional. It's about being completely dependent. You see, God often calls us to do things greater than our ability to accomplish. Why? Because when God calls you to do things greater than your ability to accomplish and it actually succeeds, then he's the only one that gets the credit. Because there's only, only by the grace of God could that happen. All that stuff they're talking about, sin network, look, it's obviously only by the grace of God. When you haven't planted a church in San Juan, Puerto Rico for 20 to 30 years, and now we have 17 there, that's only by the grace of God. And how God takes a, a guy like a Dan Coleman and puts him in Augusta, Maine, and plants a little church, runs about 70, and they get three services and get up to 200, but in a little room of 70. Because of your faithfulness, we're able to buy a, a Catholic church, put them in there, and today they run over 1,500. That's something that only God could do. Living on mission means being sent, but also being obedient. But you know what else it means? When you're living sent, and being obedient, there will be challenges. You know what I found? In every church I pastored, Josh, every church I pastored, there were people who thought criticism was a spiritual gift. <laughs> I'm sure it's not here. You're new enough, you probably haven't identified them yet. But I had them in my church. And it was so funny. They would just sit there with their arms closed and I could just, or, or folded. And I, just, I just sometimes wanted to stop and say, hey, brother, you want to lead us in a word of criticism? I can tell you, you got it on your heart. <laughs> oh, that, that passage in Mark 2 where, where Jesus was healing the paralytic and there's some scribes there thinking to themselves. You know, I was like, ah, I know those guys, you know. But there are people who are going to be challenged. Look what it says in Acts 13. That's exactly what happened. Look what it says. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, the Jewish false prophet named Barjesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas. He called out, called Barnabas and Paul, Saul, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Seeking to turn him away from the faith. What I want you to see is sometimes you're challenged from the outside. And the leader here and his sidekick, his counsel, and he was actually open to hearing what Barnabas and Saul were saying. And, and his sidekick says, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. You don't understand the impact that'll have on your poll numbers. There's a lot of unexpected uh, implications. If you were to go down that road, some bad things can happen. We've we got to think through this, and you don't need to do that. So he basically is talking him out of it. You can read the rest of the story and how it ends. It's, pretty, it's, a, it's a great story, but the, what I want you to see is there's challenges. Don't think for one moment, just because you got a new pastor and things are kicking on all cylinders, that you're not going to face challenges from the outside. It's not like the world wants to see you succeed. But God is faithful to see us through any challenges that come from the outside. But what I've often found is problems, the biggest problems are from the inside. It's an inside job. Notice 
in this particular uh, passage, um, as you read through Acts 13, and you, you see that, that God was working. They'd gone through all these different islands, and they'd worked and worked. And notice, uh, so when they'd gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician. Oh, I'm sorry. And what's the very next slide? Have you got the next slide? Um, I may have. There we go. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. Now, what happened is they went on this first missionary journey. They planted churches. Okay. They come home back to Antioch, gave a report. And then Paul felt burdened like, you know what? Let's go back. It'd be much like you saying, you know, we, we went to, but we planted church in Boston. Let's go back and see what we did years ago. Let's go see Salt Lake City in a couple of years, going back to see what you're going to do. And all. that's the kind of the idea. And so Paul says, let's go back. I think it'd be cool. Can I go back and do a, a second missionary journey? What do you think? And, and let's go do that, Barnabas. And notice what's, what happens here. Um, let us return and visit the brothers. Oh, well, stay back. I'm sorry. There you go. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, John Mark. But Paul thought best not to take him with him, one who, the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, let me give you a little background here. And I'll, uh, for sake of time, I just want to uh, uh, give a quick glance at this. John Mark's related to Barnabas, his nephew. The first missionary journey... Barnabas said to Saul, hey, look, we're going to go out. I'm going to take John Mark with me, and he'll be kind of like the Antioch Collective, all right? And uh, he's going to be the first intern in the Bible, and we're, we're going to take him with us on the, on the trip. And, and, of course, you know, John Mark's like, well, can I go? This would be great. This is fantastic. Going to Cyprus? Ooh, you know, that's like Bahamas for Jesus. Who doesn't want to go to Cyprus? And so if you look at where they went, it was fantastic. And everything went good while it was going good. But then they began to experience some challenges. And, 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 and some believe that they had diseases and all kinds of difficulty in the trip. And that when, the, when it really started going tough, John Mark went to Barnabas and says, hey, uh, Barnabas, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. This is great, but... This is hard. This is, this is harder than I thought. I mean, this is not what I expected. You know, I had all these expectations. And then I thought, it's one of those things where, look, I'm following the Lord. I thought, I'm doing everything right. I thought it would go fine. And I enjoyed the, the trip to Cyprus. I mean, who wouldn't? But now, this is difficult. And he began to whine and basically said, I want to go back to my mommy, okay? And so, Paul, this really ticked him off. And he looked at John Mark as a pansy or a deserter, whichever one you want to say. And Barnabas sent John Mark back. Well, now it comes time to do the second missionary journey. And you notice what happens. Paul says, hey, Barnabas, what do you say we go back and do a second tour? Barnabas says, great, I'll call John Mark. <laughs> Paul says, wait just a second. Not going to happen. Matter of fact, if you read Acts 15, it talks about the fact that there was no small disagreement, which means they had it out. We don't know the details of it. We just know it was no small disagreement. And I'm sure it went something like this. Paul, look, nobody's perfect. He made his mistakes, but I want to give him a second chance. Paul says, not a chance. 
This is too important. The kid tried. He didn't, he didn't make it. He wimped out. I'm not wasting my time on the kid. He's a deserter. Halfway through this trip, he'll want to whine back to his mama again. Barnabas says, I don't know if you've read the New Testament, Paul, but it's Paul and Barnabas. I get a vote here. <laughs> and Paul says, hey, look, I know you're the encourager, Barnabas, but you're, you're letting your heart overrule your head. And I'm not, this is not going to, no small disagreement. To which ultimately someone made the call. Paul says, all right, Barnabas, if that's how you want it, take your little John Mark and you guys go that way. And my Silas, come on, you go with me. We're going to go that way. And that's what they did. Now, I don't know about you, but man, one of the things, we get to heaven, I, I, I can't wait to kind of find out what happened. Hey, you know, when you and Paul, when Paul and Silas were walking away, tell me what some of the side talk was. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine Paul just saying, oh, man, I love Barnabas, you know. I really do. He's such a, he's such a good, he really is encouraging. But man, is that guy let his heart go overrule his head. I mean, that little wimpy nephew of his never going to amount to anything. You can just imagine just yak, 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 yak. That's just kind of how Paul was. But you can imagine the other conversation. And I can identify with poor John Mark. I made my share of mistakes, and John Mark made his. And man, how awkward. I mean, John Mark's walking with Barnabas this way, looking at Paul and Silas going that way, knowing that, look, the only reason Barnabas is walking this way is because of him. The loyalty that he had, but he was investing in him as a mentor. I imagine somewhere along the line, we don't know exactly the words, but I'm sure Barnabas is like, man, Uncle Barnabas, I'm so sorry. I'm just, this is so awkward. I am so sorry. He can say, look, look, John Mark, we all make mistakes. And yet, you made your share. That wasn't your finest moment. But you know what, John Mark, I believe God saw it something special for you. I mean, yeah, you messed up that one, you fumbled, but look, God's a God of a second chance. Not only a second chance, God's a God of a third chance and a fourth and a fifth. I believe God has some big plans for you. Perhaps he puts his arm around him and says, who knows, John Mark, maybe even one day you'll write a book. <laughs> the Gospel of Mark. My point is, when you're on mission, it's about being sent. It's about being obedient. And you're going to be challenged. The fourth part is, we must be faithful and focused to the finish. I did three Fs, just because it's easier for me. It reminds me of my grade cards. Faithful focused to the finish. Point is they had their challenges, but notice what you had. You had one missionary team, and now you have what? Two. And even in the midst of challenges, they were able to accomplish some incredible things. And Paul went on preaching and preached this. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You know what I'm thankful for? Even through the midst of even challenges he had, internally, externally, all that, he did not forget his primary message was one of repentance. In Jesus, there is forgiveness. In Jesus, there is forgiveness. That's why we do. Jesus saves. Jesus 
says. That was the message. Man, I'm thankful that Paul was that type of leader. So look, you're to be on mission. Every last one of us are to be on mission. You're to be sent. Be obedient. You're going to be challenged. But be faithful and focused to the finish. And even the Apostle Paul went through times of discouragement. Have you ever been discouraged? My word, I have. And if you've not been discouraged, man, you should be discouraged because you're lying to yourself. You're living in an oblivious world, all right? You, we all go through difficulty and challenges. The Apostle Paul did. So much so that at the, the point of his darkest night, the Lord came to him in a dream or a vision, the Bible says, in Acts 18, verses 9 and 10. I read this passage almost daily for a couple of years when I was going through some challenges. I want you to remind you, look at what it says. Paul this is, this is Acts 18, so we just were talking about Acts 13. He went and planted all these churches. God's doing all these incredible things to him. And again, sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back, but there were some challenges. But look, look, the Lord comes to him and says this. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. I love this verse. Why? Because of the two things the Lord tells Paul in the darkest of his night. When you're discouraged, financial, relational, health, whatever it is, you can always come back to this verse the Lord encouraged Paul. He's encouraging us. Look what he says. Do not be afraid. You know how he actually says it in the Greek there? It's not like don't be afraid. It's more like stop being afraid. Paul, you're afraid. And stop it. There's no need for you to be afraid. Stop being afraid. Why are you being afraid? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Can you say that with me? Do not all right, do it a little bit more spunk. You ready? Here we go. Do not be, there you go. Do not be afraid, Paul. And then he says, but go on speaking and do not be silent. You keep on speaking. You keep on saying forgiveness and repentance. You keep on that message. You keep on, you do not quit. That's what those two parts are saying. Keep on speaking and do not be silent. You do not quit speaking. Do not be afraid and do not quit. That's the two messages. Do not be afraid, Paul, and do not quit. Do not be afraid and do not quit. We'll go to Los Angeles. Do not be afraid and do not quit. You go across the street. Do not be afraid and you do not quit ever. This would be just a spiritual pep rally if you stop there. I'm so thankful that the Lord went on to tell Paul, what basis he had to not be afraid and not to quit. He tells him why. Because for I what? Am. That's why he's not ever have to be afraid and he never has to quit. For I am with you. He's saying, Paul, because I'm with you, stop being afraid. That's silly. I got this. You don't ever have to be afraid. I got this. I'm with you. And you never have to quit. Why? Because I'm with you. Changes everything. 
It changes your perspective and the way you live life. Your whole worldview changes when you really believe if he is with you. He's promised that he'll what? Never leave us or forsake us. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always there. Then what are we so afraid of? And why we want to wimp out and quit? We should never because he's with us. Look, I already told you I'm a Kentucky fan. I want to admit it right up front. And, uh, I'm a, but I'm really a basketball fan. Football for us in Kentucky is kind of an appetizer, all right? It's just, it just gets us to the main course. I've been, I got married back in 1985 and, uh, to my wife, Lynette. And we had our first marital challenge. We got married in December 28th, 1985. I know exactly when our first uh, pre-major I major marital challenge, it was significant for newlyweds, it happened in March around something called March Madness, all right? <laughs> and so March Madness is on. Kentucky was uh, playing, and she wanted to talk, <laughs> all right? That was a challenge because, I mean, the game was uh, going on. It was good, and I was wanting to like, say, can we just wait till after the game? Well, am I not as important as the game? Well, let's not put it like that, all right? <laughs> <laughs> she had one sister, and so, you know, and, I, and we had dated, obviously, but she never saw, you know, I made a point to, well, I was focused on the game. I was focused on the game. And so it was a, seriously, it was a challenge. And so the second game, I could tell, again, it was really starting to be something. So uh, and she finally said, you have to do something about, uh, she said, you, you've, got, you've got an issue. And I went, I have an issue. She said, you're way too, you're so competitive. And you get so angry watching a game. I said, no, 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 you're reading it all wrong. I, look, look, when I watch a game and the referee does something, I feel like I should encourage him to do it better the next time. <laughs> and when the players aren't doing what I think they should do, I'm just trying to encourage them to do it different. And the other team, oh, I have a lot to share with the other team. But I would get up near the TV, and I would get a little uh, rambunctious around the TV and thinking that they, she goes, you do know they can't hear your voice, you know, or you do know you're not a coach. Long story short, I had to make some changes, and I did. And I still, to this day, she would tell you if she were here, this is how I watch basketball games, all right? I don't football because, again, we don't really care. We're waiting for basketball. Um, on basketball games, I tape them. And you say, yeah, you tape, and you make sure nobody tells you the score. No, that's not how I do it. I tape them. I find out what the score is. And then if we win, I watch it. And if we lose, I delete it. <laughs> now, what that means is every game I watch is fantastic. I can tell you today, I get chills telling this story every time. I, I could go home today and perhaps will watch a Kentucky game where we played Michigan several years ago. Now, what I love about it is we had a great year and we're favored, but we were 10 points down at halftime. 10 points, and the commentator's like, Kentucky's down 10 points. There's no way they can come back from such an insurmountable lead. And all this negative, 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 negative. Did that bother me? Not at all. <laughs> it's halftime. We're down by 10. They can yak all they want, be negative all they want. It doesn't bother me because I know we win. So 10 minutes into the second half, 10 minutes left to go in the game. We're still down by eight. <laughs> we 
get down by six. Well, it's, oh, no, get down to one minute. We're down by two, and they have the ball. Am I nervous? Not at all. I'm petting my dog. My wife's watching the game with me. Eating a peanut butter and jelly. That's my special place. It's all good because I know what happens. At the 42nd mark, we steal the ball. We come down to our end of the floor. We're still down by two. We pass it around. Oh, my word, I hope they get a shot off. I bet they do. <laughs> they throw it over to a guy named Aaron Harrison. He shoots it from three-point line with three, two, one. Does it go in? It does. <laughs> Every time. It's so refreshing and honestly relaxing to live life when you view it from that point. That's all the Lord was saying to Paul. Paul, you worry about things you have no reason to worry about. Because I got this. I told you, stop worrying. That's ridiculous. And do not quit. You do not quit. Because I am with you. I love the last part of the verse, and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish here. It says, because there are many people in this city that you know not of. I love that part. In King James, it says, there are many people in this city, Paul, that you know not of. What he was saying to Paul is, Paul, I'm going to use you to do things you have no idea about. I'm going to use you to reach people you have no idea about. Your best friend, you may not even know him yet. That so applies well. I think of, man, there are so many people. I have many, many people in Los Angeles that you, you have no idea about today. but also applies to each one of us. I know you're thankful and proud of all God has done through this church in the past, but there is much to do. There are many people in this city that you have no idea about, but God can use you to make an even greater and significant difference in this city. It's all about being on mission, being sent. Every one of us are. We're all to be obedient. We're all going to be challenged. But we must be faithful and focused to the finish. I want us to bow our heads. So bow our heads. I'm just going to pray that God would impress upon you exactly what he wants to do through you, where he wants to do it, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, that your yes would be on the table. God's not saying you have to give up your career. In fact, I tell every one of these Palmetto Collective students, you don't have to give up your career or desire to go into medicine or engineering. Just when you do it, you can do both. Do that, but also in, be missional. They got hospitals in L.A. They really do. They got engineering firms in Pittsburgh. I was just there. You have one life to live. Just pray that you live it in a way It's about getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. Father, thank you for how you love us. You know everything about us and you use us anyway. Father, I'm thankful that many of us are like John Mark. We made mistakes. We've done stupid things. Played a lot of dumb tacks in our life. But you use us anyway. Oh, Lord, thank you. 
thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you're going to do. Pray your blessing upon this service today and any decision that people may make today to follow you, to know you, and to serve you. In Jesus' name.